mobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Welcome back to Gone Mobile. This episode is being recorded on October 16th, 2014. So for this episode, we're joined by John Sheehan, founder and CEO of Runscope and uh, really just a guru of all things API related. How's it going tonight, John? It's good. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on the show. So, I mean, over the years, you've, you've been doing all sorts of API related things and you're, that's what I would say you're probably most well known for at this point um, in, in a bunch of different roles. So what's, just to kind of kick things off, what drove you to start Runscope? Sure. So... I, I sort of am an accidental API guru. So around 2008, 2009, I really fell in love with with Twilio. So I was using uh, Twilio a lot for uh, you know stuff that I was building back home, mostly like toy stuff, right? Like nothing serious. But uh, I really liked the idea that by using this API, I gained this skill that I didn't previously have. Like it took me about five minutes to get up and running and sending my first phone call and being able to do you know, make my phone ring, which was this really tangible, real thing from code, like it was a different level experience of coding, right? And so I just kept playing around Twilio and and I loved everything about it. And in 2010, it worked out that there was an opening there for a developer evangelist and I was already doing evangelism for Twilio <laughs> on my own. So I was already giving talks about it and writing libraries and writing blog posts. And so it was a really natural uh, fit to get paid for that. And so uh, in early 2010, I joined as the first developer evangelist. Uh, Twilio was about 10 people at the time. And uh, we kind of just ran with it from there. I spent the first year running around the country, meeting as many developers as possible, just trying to understand uh, you know, what their problems were. Not necessarily so much from a Twilio standpoint, but just in general, like what were developers going through trying to build apps. And eventually we knew that if we helped them that they would use Twilio because eventually everyone needs SMS. So. Um, I did that for a while and then I moved out to San Francisco and sort of took over the team and and had built up all of this sort of like knowledge about like problems people were going through using APIs. And so I switched over to be becoming a product manager for developer experience because I wanted to turn that into like improvements directly in the product. Uh, and I did that for about six months and uh, had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, but at that point, it was, it was sort of my time to, to move on from Twilio. And then I went to If This Then That or Ift as, <laughs> as people know. And... Uh, I like jumped full into like a sea of API problems. So they use 65 different APIs at the time. It's like 150 now. And if you've used one, you know how troublesome they can be. If you're using 65, you know what a complete nightmare that can be. So things would get slow or break or, you know, return incorrect data or change in unexpected ways. And all of the tools we were using to really like get insight into that were just letting us down. Like I felt like we were flying blind, right? It was largely what like my day-to-day feeling was dealing with these integration problems. Uh, One of my favorite ones is that like every other Friday night at 11 p.m., a certain API would get really slow, like 15 second response times and it wouldn't fail. So it felt like it was still working, but it would tie up all our workers Hmm. for, you know, 15 seconds for every request. And that just adds up very quickly when the normal response time is a couple hundred milliseconds, right? And so... We didn't have any tools that was giving us really good like historical insight into that or even like threshold alerting, anything like that. And so uh, as a, all good developers, I you know felt a pain point and then thought, hey, I, I think I can do better than this. I think there's got to be a better way here to solve this problem. And so uh, I started playing with different API tools 
And uh, one that sort of really caught on was this idea of like this debugging proxy, essentially. And uh, what happened was, is we had uh, an integration where it worked on my local machine and it worked in production, but it wouldn't work in staging. But I couldn't deploy Wireshark easily to our staging Amazon environment, right? I couldn't put Charles Proxy or Fiddler on that box very easily. So what I really wanted was something that I could drop into any app and regardless of language or framework and really see what the traffic that was going back and forth between us and the API to see what my client was generating or see what the server was responding without having to change my code. And so I thought, well, what if we could make a, a URL effectively? The original idea was you would just add uh, uh, .runscope.net to the end of your existing host name, right? So if you were using like api.twilio.com, you would just add .runscope.net and then it would work, right? And you would filter through us. Uh, that doesn't work for a variety of reasons, but the evolution of that idea was that we take the original host name, we stuff it into a subdomain. So it's api-twilio-com-yoursecretkey.runscope.net. And now all of the traffic that goes through there is relayed transparently. We don't modify it or do anything to it that affects its behavior. And then we take a snapshot of it, the, the traffic as it goes through. So you just add that one hop through us, you didn't change your code, you didn't change the API, but you get to see everything that's going on in full fidelity. And that was like a really big light bulb moment for us. And I, I showed that to another engineer at Twilio and he was like, oh man, this is great. And we had been talking about doing something together for a while. We're like, you know, what if we could do this? And what if we could do this? And it wasn't long before we realized like we had the nugget of something that could be a real company. And uh, we whipped up a little bit of a prototype, uh, hit the investor circuit, which uh, we're fortunate enough that uh, there are enough investors in this in the Bay Area that understand this stuff that uh, uh, pitching something crazy like a new API tool was like not crazy at all. And so uh, it wasn't long before we had, had secured the seed round and then we were off and running. So that was uh, early 2013. Uh, we ended up launching that uh, debugging proxy, which is now called a RunScope URL, uh, in May 2013. And then later in the year, what happened was uh, customers kept saying to us, okay, I got this call working. I was able to see it and figure out what was going wrong. But now I want to know on an ongoing basis if it's working or not, or if it's still working without having to make the call. So that we set up essentially a out-of-band API testing slash monitoring tool called Radar, which just hits these endpoints as often as every minute from nine locations around the world and really just tells you how your API is performing from around the world. So long story short, <laughs> That is my accidental path to be sort of an API uh, problem guru. So I, I never really intended to get into this. I just kept finding myself in the spot where we had built up the you know the right set of experiences and knowledge to really attack these problems in ways that nobody was doing before. So I think I mean, there's kind of all sorts of directions we can go in um, and a lot of things that I, I want to cover across that. But I guess to just to have somewhere to start here, I, I'd love to kind of dig into the, the RunScope radar stuff that you kind of mentioned in passing there. So I mean, like, what what are the kinds of tests that you can write to to run as part of Radar? Sure. So a Radar test is essentially one or more HTTP requests that are executed in order and can do things like pass state between them. So you can extract values from the first request and pass it to subsequent requests. So if you do something like create a customer, you can grab the newly dynamically generated customer ID, then pass that to the second request, get it to make sure it's still there, and then delete it and make sure that it's gone, right? And so you can test the entire sort of CRUD workflow if you, CRUD workflow, CRUD's not really a workflow, but you know <laughs> what I mean. You can, the life cycle of uh, the existing of a resource if you want. Uh, then we let you specify criteria that determines whether or not uh, 
the call was successful or failed. So you can say the status code should be this, the JSON should contain data at this attribute that equals this, the performance should be less than you know 500 milliseconds. So you get to determine what, what is a successful request and what isn't. And then if, if our sort of simple assertions and variables don't work for you, then you can do a full on, we have a full on embedded JavaScript environment where you can write scripts and you can say, if the seventh element in the JSON array equals this and the status code was this, then the this header value should equal, like really crazy assertion, whatever you can do with the, with the response data. So that's, that's the simple like makeup of a test. Uh, they run, like I said, they run in order. You can run them as often as every minute. They just keep running ongoing in the background. Uh, you can run them locally or behind the firewall if you install our agent all the way up into your you know staging production environment. We we run our own like locally against our our local versions of the API in staging after a deploy and then in production from locations around the world to get sort of that full full picture of how things are working. And uh, the original idea was that mobile app developers would really love this because every API that powers a mobile app is essentially public. Maybe not be publicized, but it's on public internet. And that if you're a cloud company, that's you know where we all live, right? So that makes it easier. Uh, what ended up happening is that API providers just in general of any type, mobile backends or uh, you know public open APIs or even private ones, really didn't have a good ongoing monitoring solution that really understood APIs the way we did. There, there are HTTP pingers out there and checkers, but like, you know, support for OAuth and support for different authentication schemes and that state passing thing that I described, which is super common for APIs, was not really handled very well by existing uh, uh, HTTP checkers. And so what happened, ended up happening is these API providers, despite our sort of best efforts to target it at mobile developers, found the product and really started using it uh, despite our, market, our sort of shallow marketing. And uh, it's really just taken off with API providers now. I mean, if... Thankfully, we listened to that, and we've now since added a lot of things that have tailored to that market better to to really uh, uh, accelerate the you know the growth we've seen in that area. But because of the way it was originally built, it really is really well a uh, very good general purpose HTTP testing tool. Whether you use it for you know minutely monitoring or just as part of a build and deploy processes as a test. So then I, the, the tests you're describing really, I mean, it sounds just kind of like API versions of unit tests or really integration tests. So then um, is it possible to, do you, do you provide any ways of, of hooking these into CI, CI builds that we might have or any kind of web hooks for, for doing you know, custom, custom reactions to passes or fails on your end? Yep. Yeah. So we generally describe them as smoke tests or integration tests. Uh, you know, some of our customers call them functional tests internally. So I, I definitely won't call them a unit test, but we we run ours. Uh, we have a feature called trigger URLs, which is essentially a URL that will start a test run for any given test. Uh, and we've taken those. And when we when we do a new deploy, we call that trigger URL and we then test to make sure that the, the endpoint uh, is working properly. The nice thing about trigger URLs is you can actually pass in dynamic uh, initial context to those. So we pass in uh, like the host name for an internal EC2 instance, which is dynamic and changes all the time. And so we write that test plan using a variable across the host name, and then we can run that test plan against any host by using a trigger URL that passed in a dynamic host time at execute or host name at execution time. And so that's how you also integrate with like Jenkins or CircleCI or Travis or uh, you know TeamCity or any of these CI platforms is through the trigger URLs. We don't yet post back status to like break the build if your API test doesn't pass, uh, but we're hoping to do that in the future. We sit in a weird spot where you may have done a build, but you haven't done a deploy yet. So mm -hmm. if we test it, 
it may not even be deployed, right? So they're like, we just try to make, keep it flexible right now and, and notify you via either the webhook, emails, PagerDuty, HipChat, Slack, uh, all of those things to make sure that you get notified if it breaks, but we don't like post back to Jenkins yet and say, hey, this build broke. So uh, I was gonna ask, do you have any options for doing testing in different locations? Uh, does RunScope help you test different regions for performance time in those regions and, or even um, just different outcomes? Yep. So we, we run our test runners from nine different locations around the world. So we started out uh, with one, everything ran from US East. Uh, and when we were doing this as a testing tool, that was fine because you didn't really care about global performance. Uh, but once the you know the API providers really latched onto it, the first thing was like, I really need to know how this is performing everywhere around the world. So uh, we already had service regions set up for the debugging proxy. So it was really easy to carry that over to testing. And now you can run, uh, we just added Japan last week, which makes nine. So uh, seven of those are Amazon data centers. Two of those are Rackspace data centers so if you're running in amazon you should run one from rackspace because uh you know internal routing and internal dns can sometimes uh cause confusion over what's actually happening to get a better outside perspective but a big part of what we want to do is make sure that you get a, a really clear global picture of what's happening and uh along with that if there's like a if you're in a data center that we don't support you can take our agent uh, which is available on any of the paid accounts. And it's just a single executable and you can run it in Azure or SoftLayer or Google Compute Cloud Engine, whatever it's called, and uh, run those tests just like any of our other regions uh, from wherever you want. Does the agent help you with uh, running API tests like with firewalled or private uh, APIs at all? Yep, so the agent is our was originally built for private APIs that live behind the firewall. So the agent only makes outbound requests. It doesn't, it's not externally addressable. We can't, like, it's not a server. We can't hit it or, or communicate to it. It only pulls work down uh, and executes the uh, the individual requests and sends the result back up to our, our main central area. So it does the minimum amount of work uh, in order to work behind the firewall and a really like nice, secure, you know, sort of small package with a minimal footprint. And then response times are kind of just one side of the equation when it comes to performance. Do you offer any other kind of hooks or, or monitoring into you know deeper levels of performance monitoring? So the the largely we, we sort of measure the entire transaction time from like when we initiated the the request to total like total response time. Uh, we don't yet break that down by like DNS lookup time or SSL negotiation or you know first byte last byte that sort of stuff. Uh, that is something we definitely want to do better in the future, uh, but we just we don't we just don't yet. Uh, we do have nice really nice even on the response time we do have nice integrations with. Uh, Keen.io, which is a great analytics API, or New Relic Insights, where you can funnel in uh, the test results and then break it down by region and then by response time. And so you can really see, like, uh, you know, worldwide what your current uh, API performance levels are. That makes sense. And I know um, I'm a big, big user of uh, New Relic, so that, that's good news for me. <laughs> So then, um, what about the the security side of things? So if you're if if I'm a developer and I'm proxying a, a lot of my traffic through, you know, over through RunScope and then off to to where it's going to go, that's kind of you know, RunScope has the ability to see the the in and out as it's monitoring things. So is there anything that I need to to really be worried about there? Yeah, I mean, generally we 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 don't uh, recommend people do things like send credit cards through us or. Uh, HIPAA data or anything that has compliance requirements on it. Uh, you know, like you shouldn't for any cloud provider, generally you shouldn't, you know, that's a violation of your compliance requirements anyway. But uh, 
you know, people send tokens through us and like we work really hard to try to protect that data as much as possible within within the bounds of making the service useful, right? So uh, a lot of times you may want to search by a token, so we need to store it, but we uh, we don't readily make information available that uh, that people don't want made available. We, we work very hard to make sure data is sandboxed across customers, that you can delete data at any point, you can clear out a bucket in your history at any given point. Uh, People who are particularly sensitive about it, uh, generally we say, you know, test with a sandbox key or test in your staging environment and, and keep it out of production. Uh, uh, generally, we mostly only run into issues on this with like payment providers who uh, have strict requirements. If you do make a request over SSL, uh, we do relay that. It's all SSL end to end. So we don't like uh, convert it to HTTP or like anything like that. So we keep that uh, encrypted all the way through and we'll make sure that the certificate on the upstream API is valid. We don't let anything happen there. So uh, we protect it as much as we can, like I said, within the bounds of, of making a useful product. And we just try to make it clear what is going to be ha- what is going to be happening and what is stored where and what is available at any given point and give you the control over whether or not it should be kept retained or not. Uh, in the future, one of the things we want to do is give you even more really, really specific granular control over what gets retained. So let's say you're making a request to an API and you're sending a, a really sensitive auth token with it. We might say, all right, well, we'll relay it for the length of that request, but then before we store it, we'll redact anything that's in the authorization header or anything that's in uh, you know, a query parameter with this name, right? And so that way it will never get stored, but that's still a little ways down the road. Gotcha. And then, so if, so if I happen to realize that I accidentally sent through some information, you know, be it PII or credit card info or something, um, and, and I hit, you know, delete this bucket or, you know, delete this request from RunScope, I can be assured that it's just gone? Like there's no, you know, secret cache on your side or something? Yeah, so if you do that before the the next backup runs, it'll be gone. Otherwise, it'll go through the, you know, the backup rotation process, which eventually will be purged anyway. Right. Uh, uh, and w- if that's a problem for someone, if there's something particularly, int- you know, uh, sensitive that needs to, to be taken care of, then, uh, you know, we'll work with somebody to deal with that situation as it arises. So it sounds like we're transitioning more into the traffic inspector API debugging side of things. Can you take us through what the tooling around debugging your web APIs looks like with that? Sure. So, you know, the biggest leap there was getting the traffic at all. And that's the, the run scope URLs that we discussed. Uh, once you have it, though, uh, the, the probably the most popular feature is the sharing feature. So usually if you're working, you know, with an API, there's two machines talking to each other and it's very hard to get eyes on the data. Right. And what you really want to do is not only have your eyes on it, but the, the provider of that API or the other side of that conversation, if it's a webhook, for instance, looking at the exact same data you are. And so we make it easy to create a public shareable link for any given HTTP request. So you can say, all right, API provider, here's what my client generated. It's following your docs, but you're sending back this in this case. Why am I getting this? And the API provider looks at it and doesn't have to like go to their logs or try to recreate your environment or ask you for your code or all of these things I did at Twilio support for years, trying to figure out people's problems, which was like not being on the same page, right? So the share links let you immediately get on the same page with the API provider 
and look at the exact same data that went back and forth so you can uh, solve solve the problem a lot faster. Uh, the other most popular ones are, are live search. So you can say like, uh, you know, show me status 404s and you get a live updating stream of just 404s, right? Or you can say, uh, show me ones that had this header at this path and then, uh, you know, get a nice filtered filtered view of that traffic in real time as those requests come in. Cause sometimes the streams can get a little uh, crowded if you're doing lots of traffic. Uh, we also have a, like a way to or, like basically bookmark interesting requests into collections. And then uh, the other thing we have is a new metrics tool that takes like the aggregate uh, performance data across your traffic inspector requests and your radar tests and sort of breaks down by host name and endpoint and method uh, what the exact performance and usage metrics were for that. So what was the 99th percentile on response time or how many requests did I make to this host name? That, that sort of thing. So do you have anything that makes it simple to compare requests? Like if I'm working on a problem, I make some changes, I want to see the requests coming in, but I want to see what's sort of changed as an outcome between them. That is a great question. You're, you must be looking at my documentation. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that is actually a, the, uh, uh, a super popular feature that I forgot about. So uh, we let you compare any two requests and responses. So generally what happens is we'll have an API that's breaking. We ship a fix or we ship something that broke it. And so what we do is we compare the request data from before the deploy to after the deploy. And usually you can see like, oh, we accidentally changed that parameter name or there's a typo here, right? And so it makes those one character sort of uh, problems that are difficult to spot, really easy to spot because we highlight them in big green and red blocks. So uh, it makes, makes that sort of problem uh, really easy to solve. Uh, the other thing I neglect to mention is you can actually retry right from the web uh, any given request and you can also edit it before you do. So there's a, a web-based editor where you can pull up request data and you know tweak that header or add the data that you want or try a different auth token. Uh, this comes in particularly handy for webhooks. So what tends to happen with webhooks when I do a new integration is that uh, the provider starts sending me some webhooks and then I run them through RunScope but then you know, my server is not acting on them or doing what I'm expecting. So I go over to RunScope, I look at the requests that came in from the provider and then be like, oh, okay, my server threw a 500 there, track down the error, fix it. And then instead of going back to the service provider to rerun that webhook, I just click the retry button and I get, and I never miss an event this way. So we, in production, we do this with all of our production Stripe webhooks. We run every Stripe webhook that we get through a RunScope URL. So if we have like a momentary blip on our webhook receiver, we can just go back into RunScope and click retry and get all of those real events without having to try to recreate them from Stripe side. Stripe does a good job with that. Not every provider does. So I'm trying to get my head around a little more of the, the developer story here. So as someone who wants to come in and, and use RunScope and say, um, well, let's take, for example, the, the use case you, were, you gave before around sharing where maybe my app is integrating with some app. Maybe, you know, maybe it's like RunScope or Twilio or what have you. Uh, and I want to, you know, I'm having some sort of problem. I want to run my stuff through RunScope and then be able to share the request and monitor it and that kind of thing. Um, is it just a matter of like I should go change my the URL I'm hitting to, you know, be the the kind of URL that RunScope knows how to to parse and look for, or are there other tools uh, involved there? For the most part, uh, it's just changing the URL. Still, um, there's a couple other cases like if you're dealing with. Uh, Let's say you have an API on running on localhost 3000, you know, and you want to like 
uh, temporarily expose that to like your app so you can test against like a new revision of the back end, right? Or if you want to like temporarily send uh, somebody else on your team say, hey, try that against my endpoint and see if I get the same behavior. Or even if it's uh, you're developing webhooks locally and you just want to temporarily get access from the outside in uh, to your local machine, we have a tool called Passageway. It's another installable agent and it temporarily opens up local hosts to the public internet or to anybody else so they can see what is running on your local machine. It just basically is a reverse tunnel to a local port. So uh, that that comes in handy uh, sometimes with teams, like I said, for sharing across teams. But in general, like the, the, the first step is like start making requests through a run scope URL. Um, you can run it in production if you want. Our, our production proxies, we run it, like I said, we run them in nine data centers and in each of those data centers, there's at least two instances. They're all low balance and high availability. Uh, our ops guy ran ops at Pinterest for a while early on, so we know how to run a, a high <laughs> high availability uh, a site. Uh, and so the the first thing is just get the traffic in because you can't do anything with it until it's it's collected. Right. And you hit on passageway there, which is definitely something I wanted to bring up. And I, I can even give kind of uh, my own two cents on that one because we at the company I'm at, we're we're using Runscope and passageways is, is one of the biggest uh, you know selling points of, of the package for us. So, you know, for anyone not familiar, and I'm sure you could follow this up with a much better explanation than, than I will. But but as as you said, you can you can expose your your local APIs and you know things running on your machine publicly. Which as uh, for people like myself who are app developers, this makes it way more um, actually possible to you know debug you know uh, you know or talk between an app that you have running on a device or a simulator and uh, a local API without having to deploy it out to somewhere public. So I mean, it really does you know tighten that feedback loop by a lot. Yeah, it, it's similar to a, a popular tool out there called Local Tunnel, which was the first version of this sort of uh, tunneling program. And essentially what it does is the, the client establishes a uh, an outgoing connection with a server somewhere, and then there's a, a communication protocol that essentially shuttles you know, the public server, requests that come into the public server down to your local client, and then uh, sort of deserializes them and, and, and you know, uh, pushes it against the port that you've... Uh, uh, you've bound against. So again, tunnel is like the best possible word here, right? Like you've, you basically make this tunnel that goes outside the, from outside in, or sorry, from inside out, which gets around most firewall restrictions and just makes it easy to, to put local host on a public URL. Yeah. And I, I remember, so like when we were first trying out Runscope, um, you know, but myself and, and one other engineer on our team were, were making heavy use of Passageway. And then she had actually gotten the email that the trial was about to end. And she immediately forwarded to me basically saying, please don't let them take Runscope away from me. So <laughs> it's for, for any app developer that's listening, I, I, I recommend at least checking that one feature out, if, if nothing else. I'm going to have to get that quote on our homepage, I think. <laughs> I could probably forward you the email. It was, it was good. Well, I mean, we bought it immediately. So. Well, I, I, that I appreciate. Hey everyone, this episode is brought to you by Raygun. Raygun is an essential tool for every developer, helping you detect and diagnose your errors in real time so your team can fix bugs faster. Just a few lines of code is all it takes to get started, and you'll be amazed how quickly you start receiving reports from all of your apps. Why wait for frustrated users to notify you when they hit a bug, and then spend your time digging through log files? Raygun notifies you immediately and with all the information you need. Raygun keeps everyone informed, so whether you have 1 or 100 developers, you'll get everything you need to become an awesome development team. Start your free trial today at raygun.io, and make sure to thank them for sponsoring Gone Mobile. 
So you mentioned OAuth earlier. Do you have any utilities that specifically help with debugging like OAuth between providers? Yeah, so OAuth is interesting because uh, OAuth 1.0a was really complicated. Every request you made had a really complicated signature that you needed to generate. And uh, the spec says, you know, sort your query parameters alphabetically and then sign it with SHA-1. And it yes. uh, turns out uh, .NET does not sort strings the same way, you know, Ruby and Python do. And that's not like the sort method is not specified in the spec. If you want to waste three days in 2010, like I did, <laughs> that's a great, that's a great way to do it. Uh, and so OAuth 1 was really complicated. Uh, OAuth 2 is essentially you put a, you get, once you get a bearer token, you just put in a header and you're up and running, right? So there's no signature. It uses SSL's requirement, much, much simpler. However, getting the token in both cases can be very complicated. So one, you have to become a server, right? Like your client now has to be a server. You have to set up a, a web endpoint to go through the OAuth authorization flow so that when somebody says, you know, connect with GitHub, that after you go to GitHub, that it, there's a place to go back to so you can get that code and exchange it for a token. So that that's just way too complicated. And uh, I, I should say unnecessary, or I should say necessarily complicated, right? So uh, that's where the value of OAuth comes from is that you don't have to share your username and password with any given app provider. Uh, but what I wanted to do early early on in RunScope, in fact, before we even launched, I just wanted to make getting that token easier. And so we made the OAuth token generator. That was actually the first tool RunScope ever released to the public, which uh, saves you setting up the server. You just put in your keys, it goes off to the API, handles the redirect back, and then spits out the access token you got back. And now you can just copy that into your, into your code or into RunScope request editor and start making requests with it. So it makes it a lot simpler to get that initial token set up. Uh, in Radar, uh, we did add support for OAuth 1. So we people were trying to generate the crazy signatures using our sort of built-in uh, functions that we have. And that was a lot of nesting of, of not very pretty syntax when you got nested <laughs> that many layers deep. And so we just added a feature that says add OAuth 1 and you can just paste in your consumer key and token and your access token. And now it'll automatically generate the signature for you and add the right header. And it makes testing OAuth 1.0a uh, uh, endpoints much, much simpler. Um, the one unsolved problem is uh, how do I like, answering the question, how do I generate an access token for every test run, right? Or how do I refresh or get a refresh token or exchange my refresh token for a new access token? Uh, exchanging refresh tokens is is fine because you can just you know put that request in and get a new access token, save it, use it across the rest of the requests. Uh, we don't currently make that very dry. You have to replicate that across tests right now. I think we'll solve that problem in the future. The more interesting one is like, how do I go through the auth flow, this UI testing step, uh, or like this UI process, how do I add that to an automated API test? And so uh, I'm gonna tease something here. <laughs> I think we have a, a good solution for that, uh, or a good uh, uh, answer to that, that will be available in the future. Just a little bit of a tease there. Just a little <laughs> bit of a tease. So then kind of flipping things around for a second, um, I mean, we've talked a lot about being able to to send requests out through RunScope to, to be able to monitor them and share the requests and kind of debug things from that sense. But I can also imagine it being pretty useful if, um, as a developer, I could essentially just record a set of requests and responses and then be able to, from my own, from my own test, to be able to write write different tests for other parts of my application that can then depend on that predictable request response kind of uh, volley there. 
because I know one of the one of the things that makes it difficult writing integration tests is you know data can change underneath it or you have to kind of keep up with the environment and and that makes tests pretty brittle. So do you is that something that you you guys support? So we actually used to. This is the one feature we we killed. So we had this. Uh, uh, feature called response playback, where essentially once you made a request and we capture the response, we would give you a URL that would play back that response every time you hit that URL, right? Uh, it turned out to not be as useful as we expected, uh, largely because the responses change too often and people really, excuse me, really wanted to edit them. So what people want to do is be like, hey, I captured one, but now let me like keep tweaking it to get what our current version is without having to go through the capture process again. Mm. And uh, we just never got to the point where we thought it was compelling enough to build a big response editor and sort of become a, a, a response mocking service. So there are other services out there that do a better job of this. I think uh, Maki.io is the simplest one. Uh, Mockable.io is a much more involved sort of uh, service that lets you create up create a bunch of mock endpoints. Uh, Jason Stubb is another one. And I think when after sort of seeing those and, and like comparing it to our request playback feature, there was really no reason to keep that feature going. It actually added a lot of confusion about what it actually did. And so uh, we just strongly recommend people just go to a, a service that's good at setting up mock endpoints. Fair enough. <laughs> and, and you'd kind of mentioned in passing too um, that about the ability to, to run these in all your different environments. So you could run it locally or your staging environment. Or, and, and you mentioned that some even big names had been running it in, in production. Um, what are kind of the, some of the consequences of running it in production? And is that something that you would actually recommend that people do on a regular basis? Uh, so the biggest you know detraction we get against people running in production is that there's a perceived point of failure. So this is the the question that I've answered more times in my entire life than anything else. So <laughs> sorry to add one more. <laughs> uh, no, it's okay. Are there basically aren't you a point of failure, right? Aren't you a point of failure for my app? And uh, yes, theoretically we are a point of failure for your app. And uh, one of the things we wanted to do was like keep making investments in our infrastructure that would make us not a point of failure. We need to be more up than the collective uptime of all APIs, which is 100%, right? So <laughs> we effectively in the long term need to get to the point where we have 100% uptime SLA. Um, we've done pretty well. I mean, knock on wood, right? So uh, largely uh, the issues have been out of our control, like Amazon issues or whatever else. But even those we're working towards a future where one service provider cannot take down our proxy traffic. So... Uh, I don't want to overpromise for the future, but I think if you've seen how we've added service regions, how we've gone from one to nine, we went from one to four to eight to nine or whatever it was, and then uh, how we auto route traffic for the, the debugging proxy. So right now, uh, based on where the client is, we use you know uh, Amazon's auto routing to make sure you get to the nearest service region and minimize network latency. Uh, our proxies uh, do the bare minimum of uh, interaction with your traffic in order to to make that request. So we don't add a lot of processing overhead to actually making the request. Um, I don't have hard numbers on that, but uh, we we frequently hear imperceptible even by our customers that are using in production. So. Uh, we want to continue to make significant investments in making it so that our uptime, so that we can achieve 100, basically 100% uptime SLA. So uh, my goal is that we could run in enough data centers and uh, have a resilient enough proxy that if Amazon Web Services went down in every single region around the world, that nobody would notice the difference <laughs> other than nobody would be able to reach APIs hosted on Amazon, right? Like that's, that's the extent to which uh, we're trying to architect our service regions for resiliency. 
I guess the reality is, even if you were you had your hundred percent uptime, there's a decent enough chance that once they got once the request got past run scope to wherever it was going, it'd probably be down anyway. <laughs> that that is true, yeah. But as long as as long as we're not the problem, then I'm happy. Right. So you, I mean, you mentioned your your SLA there. Like, what is your current SLA that you offer? So uh, we will sell you one for a lot of money, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, those SLAs are largely just uh, determined by customer requirements, not by uh, one that we have. I will say that the, uh, maybe I'm going to get in trouble, but the SLAs we have sold are not as stringent as our internal expectations for ourselves. Fair enough. <laughs> but so, you know, the, ne- the network is fallible, so you can only do yeah. so much. <laughs> so as a new developer, where do I start? Where, where do I go to get myself using my APIs over RunScope? Uh, so the first thing I would do is uh, go to runscope.com and then click on one of the green sign-up buttons. Uh, you get a full 30-day free trial. There's no credit card, no obligation. After 30 days, if you don't want to upgrade, you get downgraded to our free account, which gets you 10,000 requests a month. It's more than enough to do debugging and even one or two tests that run on a schedule. Uh, from there, uh, we have pretty good, I hope, documentation since I wrote 99% of it. I hope it's good. <laughs> if it's not, email me, john at runscope.com, and I will make it better. And uh, uh really like once you log in there's a walkthrough that says hey what are you here for you're here for a debugging or here for testing and if you follow either one of those walkthroughs uh i think you'll get a pretty good picture of like what we're capable of and how it might apply to your situation uh but if if you have any questions either john at runscope.com or help at runscope.com like we are as available as we can be to, to help people get get their api problems solved faster and I know I, I we've talked uh, a bunch so far about how your basic integration point is basically just run structured run scope URLs that that enable the the proxy through uh, through you guys. Um, but I, I do remember seeing some certain uh, language support offered or different libraries. Uh, can you speak to that a bit? Like what's what's involved there? Yeah, so we've do, we've done a couple libraries or we've had a couple community contributed ones that. Uh, make it easy to automatically create the run scope URLs. So for Python, we have a library. It's a uh, an adapter for the request HP library, which essentially says once you attach the adapter, every every request that gets through will get converted into a run scope URL, and then uh, you you don't have to like worry about like specifying it every time. You just do the one time setup with the bucket key, and then everything works after that. Uh, we have those for for .NET with uh, an HP client handler. We have a Guzzle plugin for PHP, and I think there's uh, RunScope RB for Ruby and one for iOS. But uh, largely, those are simplifying the need to create the RunScope URL manually for for every every instantiation of your HP client. Okay, so that's all they're really doing under the hood then is just kind of URL management. For now. Wink, wink. <laughs> so being on a mobile show, we have to ask the question, is there anything mobile specific that you guys are looking at to bring to your product? That is a great question uh, and a good follow-on from the last one. So <laughs> I think I think mobile developers uh, have unique characteristics to their apps that maybe don't always make a proxy the best solution. And so... We want to solve that problem better. <laughs> it sounds like in a few months we might need to have you come back on and talk about all the uh, all the things that are right now. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have a lot of things in the pipeline at any given point, but uh, mobile developers in, in particular, I mean, the great thing about mobile is that uh, it really pushed the amount of APIs that were built forward in a, in a huge way. So we hear this over and over again. 
We built a bunch of APIs for our mobile apps. Then our developers fell in love with that app developer experience. Now they don't want to work with anything else. They don't want to deal with our, you know, janky mainframe systems. They don't want to deal with these custom protocols or anything else. They just want to work with HTTP. And so uh, we already have the services. Why can't they use that? And so mobile has been fantastic. Uh, for helping there be more APIs in the world. And we want to make sure that uh, all of our tools uh, in the long term uh, really address the, the needs of mobile applications, which are the, essentially the most distributed systems in the world right now. So then what is the story? So let, let's say I'm a, I'm a developer. I, I get my company to buy in to, to run scope or bringing in a few developers. I mean, what kind of uh, team management systems do you offer? Uh, you can invite team members. <laughs> so uh, currently everyone on a team, uh, we don't have permissions or role-based access yet. Okay. Uh, everyone gets access to the same data. Uh, that's another one of those you know problems we want to solve. I don't have anything to, to commit to on that, but that is something we definitely will do in the future. That's an easy one to promise. Uh, we, just haven't, we just haven't gotten there yet. Gotcha. So it's it, basically everything is just public once you're, you're allowed in. Right, exactly. You can so you can get you can build a read-only dashboard if you were to use our API. We actually have like HTML embeds of the traffic streams or individual messages. So if you if you took those embeds and you put them in your own dashboard, you would effectively get like a read-only mode for your account data, but they wouldn't be able to interact with it, retry it, do anything with it. Uh, but we we need to have a proper roles and permission system in the future, and and we will. And I can't believe it took you know thirty or forty minutes into the show for for me to think of this question. But you just mentioned an API for RunScope itself. I mean, is there is there much in there that you offer as a an API, an actual API? Yeah, an API <laughs> for your APIs, right? So uh, the biggest things are that the test results are in there. So if you again you want to do some kind of custom reporting or uh, you know any other analysis of your test results, you can pull from the API to get those custom dashboards, that sort of thing. You can also get like individual request response details. And uh, uh, we've had people do interesting things with, you know, like pulling from the API to create like an automated bug report with the full request response sort of injected into the ticket. Uh, we recommend doing those as links because uh, displaying large amounts of JSON XML on the web is not necessarily the most, or in an email, the most uh, friendly thing. And we've done a good job of that on the web, but uh, there have been cases where people have, you know, programmatically pulled data out of the API for, all, it's an API, right? Everyone uses it the way no one expects to. So uh, we've seen some interesting cases there. The biggest ones are the, are the embeds that let you embed streams and other apps. So for instance, I'll give you another case. If you're a webhook provider and you have, uh, you're you sending out these webhooks to people, uh, they probably can't see what's happening and you wanna make sure that you're giving them visibility into what's hitting their server. So uh, we have a way for you to essentially, you create RunScope URLs for your web outgoing webhooks and log that traffic and then take that in embed and put it in your dashboard and now you have a live, web live webhook debugger in your dashboard as an API provider without having to invest in the infrastructure to log it, make it searchable, retriable, update live, display it nicely, all of that sort of stuff. Oh, that's a really interesting use case. Um, so then I mean, we talked about team management and things like that, and you kind of mentioned uh, there being a free tier, which implies a, a non-free tier. So, I mean, without wanting to, to you know spend a lot of time on pricing, can you kind of give a, a brief overview of kind of what it might cost for a team to adopt this? Yep. So there's only two levers that will increase your pricing, more traffic or more people. So uh, the starter plan starts at, so there's a free plan, free forever, 10,000 requests, one person. Uh, if you go up to the, the starter plan, uh, you get, uh, I think it's 100,000 requests right now and uh, five people. And then 
it goes up from there to our business plan, which is like 4 million, 5 million requests a month and 100 people. Uh, if you're a bigger team than that or you have higher volume requirements or you want things like an SLA or priority phone support or a SAML single sign-on, then uh, we, you know we can help with that too. But that's all as part of our, our RunScope Enterprise uh, custom package that we will put together for people. So uh, we, tr- we really are trying to like meet every point in the market. We want to help indie developers all the way up to, you know, fortune, you know, one companies. That's, that's our, that's our goal from one to fortune one. I just came up with that. <laughs> well, you heard it here first then. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's a, a lot of stuff we've gone over. So, I mean, you know, better than us, like what do, what do we miss here? Is there anything that we didn't talk about that, you know, developers should definitely know about? Sure. So I think there, there's one thing I really want to talk about that, uh, uh, if all of this sounds good and you don't want to even sign up for RunScope, we uh, we run two community sites. One is called RequestBin and the other is called Hurlit. And uh, those let you inspect webhooks or make HTTP requests through the web. Uh, so if nothing else, if you just want to like get a, uh, you know, sort of a flavor for what RunScope offers without having to sign up, uh, go to one of those two sites and uh, you can try it out for free. Uh, we run some other community sites too, like Embed Curl, which lets you uh, do like a pretty embed of curl commands in your API documentation or on your blog post, that sort of thing. So so uh, our, our community sites are really important to us. Uh, those are tools that we wanted to have exist or that were being run by other people that we wanted to make sure stayed up and running. And we sponsor a lot of other HB, HTTP and API-based tools uh, as well. So uh, the community projects is one of those things that I'm, I'm really proud of. And I, I'm glad we, we've been able to, to take the time and resources to, to devote to keeping those things up and running. That's cool. Um, and any other like main features that we missed or... Did we did we get it? Uh, I think you got it. Other than our jobs page, that's a it's a feature. <laughs> that's a good feature. And you guys are still pretty small, right? So we're 13 people, but we are we are hiring like crazy. So uh, if you're into distributed systems or HTTP or Dev tools or uh, you're you know uh, wicked web developer, like we want to talk to you. So runscope.com/jobs. That sounds good, and I think that's a, a great place to wrap up. But uh, thanks so much, John, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. All right, and thanks everyone for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Gone Mobile. <laughs>